morning, church. So grateful to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, with those that are here this morning, thank you for being here with me. I'm excited to be here. Those that are, are watching from home, know that your presence is felt, and I'm grateful uh, for you as well. Today we're going to be continuing our walk through uh, the book of Romans, and we find ourselves today at a transition point in the book. Uh, we're in chapter 12 today is where we're going to be spending our time. And in, in chapter 12, for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been unpacking all this theology, uh, has been unpacking all this theology of of God's love for us and all the mercy and the grace that God has been pouring out on us. And just to recap, uh, recap some of the theology that, that Paul has been unpacking, he has been teaching us about the justification from the guilt of sin, that we are no longer uh, held guilty for the sin. We no longer have to pay the price of death for sin through Jesus Christ. Adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ we are placed under grace now, not the law. We are given the Holy Spirit who indwells inside of this. All of this is out of the grace of God. We are given the promise that God will be there to help us through every affliction and, and uh, uh, turmoil and trouble that we face. We're given assurance that we will, at the end of day, stand in God's election. We're given confidence in the coming glory of Jesus Christ when he comes again. We're given confidence that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. And we're given confidence in God's continued faithfulness. No matter what, God will always remain faithful. This is all out of the grace and mercy and love that God pours out for us. And, and Paul has been unpacking this in the first 11 chapters of the book. And we come to chapter 12 in the book of Romans, and Paul takes a transition and he starts to unfold what our response to all this mercy and God's love, uh, what our, re our response, how, how that should be applied in our lives. And over and over again, Paul has the same pattern throughout his writings in, in Scripture. He, he unloads a, just a ton of theology. And then he makes a transition into telling us how we are to apply that truth in our lives. And that's what we're going to unpack today here uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And there, there is so much in, in chapter 12 in the book of Romans. I'm going to just try to do it, it justice, really. In all honesty, we could, spend, we could spend probably close to an entire year unpacking the book of Romans, chapter 12. So I'm going to try to do it justice. A majority of the book, really, or, or a majority of the chapter, uh, or really the chapter as a whole, um, can be boiled down to one word, and that word is love. For the first 11 chapters, Paul has been talking about all the love that God pours out on us. And we get to chapter 12, and there's a transition that takes place, and now he's talking about how we are called to love God because God loved us first, and how we are called to love each other because God loves us. And he unpacks what that looks like. And, and so in, in verses 3 through, through 8, the, the, the chapter is really broken down into, into two sections. And in, and in 3 through 8, he's talking about how we are all created uniquely. And we're all created differently and gifted in different ways. And how none of us is more important than the other. But we're all important because we're all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the church. And we're each gifted in, in very unique ways. 
in specific ways because God has a purpose and a will for each one of us. And we're gifted in order to fulfill that will. And, and that we're not just supposed to use these gifts that, we're, that we've been given here and there, but we're supposed to use them, to, to, to Paul writes, to the fullest of the mercy of the grace of God, which we have been gifted these gifts. So if we read through uh, verses, verse 3 through 8, it talks about, uh, let me find it here. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in, in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're not supposed to just use these gifts. We're supposed to use them to the fullness that God has enabled us to use them. We're to step into them with all that we have. The remainder of the chapter, verses 9 through the end, talks about then how we are to interact with God, how we are to interact with each other, uh, both with, with saved individuals, members of the body of Christ, and, and those who are unsaved, those who are outside of the body of Christ. And really, it comes down to, to love again, our interactions with each other, with God, with the members of, of the body of Christ, with, with, with those that are unsaved, all boils down to love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far, this doesn't sound a whole lot like what society looks like right now, does it? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This all sounds pretty great, doesn't it? If we could just live this way as, as the body of Christ, man, what would the world look like today? But here's the thing. Paul knows, Paul knows all too well that none of this, none of this that he has just outlined here is possible outside of the will of God. That we as Christians need to discern and understand what the will of God is for each of us in each of our lives. And we need to be able to live out that will through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. 
But Paul knows all too well that there is no possible way that we can discern the will of God without the Spirit and without going through the transformative process that God is calling us into. And there is no way that we can even enter into that transformative process without laying our lives down as a holy sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that's why he starts out this chapter 12 by pleading to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all those mercies that I just started out talking about, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's because of God's abundant grace and mercy that he pours out on us that Paul is pleading to his fellow Christians to lay down their lives as a living sacrifice, to allow themselves to be transformed by the Holy Spirit within them in order that they may understand and discern what God's will is for them so that they can go out and do what it is that God is calling them to do. And so this morning, that message in verses 1 and 2 is what I really want to focus on today. Because verses 3 through, what does it go to, 21? None of that happens without first us laying down our lives as a holy sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, and without entering into that transformative process not allowing ourselves to be conformed by the world, but allowing God to transform us from the inside out. And so that's where I want to start this morning. I want to start by talking about the difference of what it is to be conformed by the world and what it is to be transformed by God. The word used in the text for conformed comes from the Greek word, and hopefully we don't have any Greek scholars in the room because I am bound to botch. Um, the pronunciation <laughs> of this word. Jim, you can tell me what it, you, you can tell me what it should have said afterwards. Suchimatizo is, is the, thank you, thank you, Floyd. Which means to fashion or pattern um, or style after. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as to be similar or identical, to be in agreement or in harmony with, and to act in accordance with, is the definition uh, of, of what it means to be conformed. I may date myself a little bit here, but when I was a kid growing up, uh, I had a best friend. His name was Ryan. And Ryan's mom, Peggy, was like a second mom to me. And one of the things that she loved to do, especially around this time of year, was make these holiday chocolates. And she had these molds and molds, like stacks of these clear plastic molds, and they were all shapes and sizes, snowmen, Santa Clauses, wreaths, and, and she would buy bags of these uh, melting chocolate discs. Do they still, do, do people still do this? I don't know, she had the white discs and the red discs and the green ones and the, the milk chocolate and the dark chocolate, and we would spend hours um, melting this chocolate down and pouring them into these little molds. And the molds had uh, little slots for popsicle sticks to, uh, to go in. And then you would, uh, so you'd fill the mold up and then you would wait for 
I don't, I don't know how long. As a kid, it was way too long. You would have to wait for the chocolate to cool and harden. And then uh, once it had hardened, you could kind of bend the mold a little bit and pop out you know, a perfect little snowman or a perfect Santa Claus or uh, a perfect wreath. And it was almost, you, couldn't, you could almost not even mess it up because you were, you were pouring it into this mold. And so you weren't responsible for um, shaping the chocolate. The mold did all the work. You just poured the chocolate in. And the mold did all the work, and out popped this uniform piece. And so this is, this is the image that I have uh, when we talk about conforming. And we take on the shape of, of, of what the world says we should, we should look like. We conform to what the world says is right. We mimic it. We pursue things that the world says is good. And most of what the world says is good is temporary. At some point, it's going to wither and die, and, and at some point, it is always going to fail us. But those are the things that we pursue, and, and we come up empty. John talks about this in the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And I, and I, I think I have this on a slide. If not, I'll, I'll read it to you. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The way of the world is about experiencing and pursuing the best of what this world has to offer. The problem is... The best this world has to offer falls way short of the best that God has in store for us. And so what we're doing when we conform to the world, what we're doing when we pursue the things that the world says is right and good, is we're settling for less than the best of what God has to offer us. And we come up feeling empty and unfulfilled and wonder why. The eyes and the eyes of the world, someone who, who conforms to the ways of the world may look very successful because they've designed and defined their life according to worldly standards. But if fulfillment requires the transformation that takes place inside of God's will, then when you allow yourself to be conformed by the world, you will never find true fulfillment. Let me tell you a, a, a story of my testimony. Um, most of you haven't heard, I don't think, um, because I'm newer here, haven't heard my testimony, and I won't go into all of it today, but I grew up in the church. My mom worked at the church. Uh, I grew up inside the Methodist church, um, literally, at times, because my mom worked there. I, I, spent, I spent a lot of time inside the church building, uh, but grew up you know, going to church every Sunday, had, had a mom and dad who knew and loved God. I was in Sunday school every Sunday. I participated in, in youth groups. I participated in church camps in elementary school and junior high and high school. I met my wife at, at high school uh, church camp 
you know, did all the things. And in the Methodist church, we have confirmation. And, and so as a teenager, I went through the confirmation process, like did all the things that I was supposed to do. Um, and, and, and then I left home and went to college. And I walked away from church, not, not because anything the church had done, and it, and it wasn't an intentional walk away. There had been no um, life-changing uh, thing that had happened in, in my life. But I just started to take these little, uh, what were indiscernible steps uh, away from the church. I was no longer going to church. Um, I was associating with people who, who didn't go to church. Um, and, and, and over the course of time, again, it wasn't something that was a discernible process, but over the course of time, over the course of a couple of years, my life had gotten to a place of a lot of darkness, honestly. Um, I was involved in things that, um, that you wouldn't have had to have spent much time in church to, to, to look at the way I was living my life and the things that I was doing and the people that I was hanging out with to, to point your finger and say, that, that guy's lost. He's lost his way. He's conformed to the world. You know, when we think of when we think of conforming to the world, we think of things like we think of things like drugs, and we think of things like alcohol, and we think of things like sex, and we think you know we think of all these terrible things, and and, and a lot of that is what my life looked like in that moment. But the thing is, the thing about confirmation is that it doesn't always look the same. There's a lot of different molds that we can fall into when we're talking about being conformed by the world. Because the truth of the situation is that if I'm honest, I was just as lost the day I left for college as, it was, as I was two years in when I realized where, where my life had gotten to. And that may, sound, that may sound strange because within the Christian world, I looked like I had it together. Like I was doing all the things I was supposed to. I was, I, was, I was doing all the activities that I was supposed to be doing. You see, the thing with the problem with being conformed is it focuses on the outside. That's all it cares about is the outside. The mold, all, all that matters is what the outside product looks like. And so on the outside, as a Christian, I looked pretty good. I was doing, I, you know, I was involved in the studies. I was involved in, in, the, in the Sunday schools. I was involved in youth. I looked like I had it together. But really what I had done was conformed to what the world, what the Christian world said a Christian should look like. All I had done is conformed. I hadn't allowed myself to be transformed by God. And so all that looked good was the outside. Transformation, on the other hand, transformation comes from the Greek word metamorpho. That one's a little easier to pronounce, thankfully. Which is actually, um, actually two uh, uh, subwords comes together. Uh, meta being the first and morpho being the second. Meta means to change, a change that takes place after being with after being with something or someone. That's what meta means. And morpho means a change, an external change that, take, that takes place in keeping with an inner reality. So meta is a change that takes place after being with, and morpho is an outward change that takes place in keeping with an inner reality. So in our context, in this passage, what metamorpho is indicating 
is an outward change that has taken place because of an inward change, an inward change in our reality that has taken place by being with, by being in the presence of God. That's the transformation that Paul is talking about that needs to take place. And that only takes place after spending time in the presence of God. In, in Old Testament scripture, only the priests could be in the presence of God. They had the temple, and they had the outer area around the temple uh, that people could come and, and present their sacrifices. And then the priests would go inside the temple, into the Holy of Holies, to be in the presence of God on behalf of the people. The beauty of being in Christ today is that we have the ability to be in the presence of God anytime we want to, anywhere we want to. The altar that we have today is to spend time in God's presence in worship, in His Word, in prayer. That's how we come to the altar today. We spend time in God's world. We spend time in, in, in worship of God. We spend time in prayer with God. We spend time seeking encounters. Little ones, big ones, just encounters of God's presence in our life. This is the place of meta. Meta begins with you spending time with God. In prayer, in worship, in his word. Seeking those encounters in everything that we do and in all that we are. The second part, the, the morpho, happens as our mind is renewed and we are transformed from the inside. Our reality within us changes and that inner reality, that change in inner reality starts to work its way to the outside. And because we are changed on the inside, we become changed on the outside. And suddenly all this stuff that Paul talks about in the rest of the chapter is possible. Because we've allowed ourselves to be transformed by God from the inside out. When I think of transformation, I think of the scripture uh, where... where it talks about that we are clay in the potter's hand. It's a lot different visual than a, than a chocolate mold, right? And I'm, I'm not a potter. My aunt is a potter. She has a, a, a studio with the, with the potter's wheel and the, and the kiln and the, the shelves of, of, for, for drying racks and, and glazes and, and all that stuff. And so I don't know a lot about pottery, but I know a little bit. And what I do know about about pottery is that the inside's crucial. When, 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 when you're creating, when the potter is creating this artwork on his wheel, the inside is crucial. The outside will fall apart if the inside isn't solid. This is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And he said, The good person, out of the good treasure in his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Church, we need to seek and hunger for those encounters with God, to spend time in the presence of God as much as possible. We've got to pursue that first and foremost before we pursue anything this world has to offer because it's only through the transformation that takes place by spending time in God's presence that we'll understand how we are to, to interact with the world around us. And it's not that we aren't to interact with the world around us. We absolutely are. Uh, but we're supposed to do that within the will of God. And why is this transformation so important? Paul spells that out right there in verse, in verse 2. When he says, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. We have no way of knowing what the will of God is in our lives without walking through that transformational process that God is calling us into. The whole purpose of the transformation and the, or the metamorphosis is that so we can understand what the will of God is for us, who God designed us to be, what he's calling us to do, how he has planned for us, what purpose he has for us to serve in the mission that he's calling us into. And we will never reach that understanding if we aren't able to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. It's the whole reason Paul starts out this chapter. And if you don't hear it in Paul's voice when you read the beginning of this chapter, he is on his knees pleading. Brothers, sisters, lay your lives down as a holy sacrifice. Don't let yourselves be conformed. Let yourselves be transformed. I want you to know the will of God for your life because the will of God is so much more fulfilling than anything the world has to offer. And you are never going to come in to a true understanding of who you are and why you were created and what it is that God's calling to do unless you have entered into this process of transformation by laying your life down. There is no greater joy and fulfillment that takes place, that can possibly ever take place, than by entering in to the will of God that he has in store for you. The beautiful thing about this transformation process, the beautiful thing about, about being in the presence of God is that every time you're in the presence of God, you're going to leave transformed in some way, shape, or form. You can't, you can't be in the presence of God and leave that encounter unchanged. You can't. I want to tell you about an encounter that I had with God not too long ago. Throughout my, throughout my journey through, through seminary, which I, I just finished uh, this past spring, I took these spiritual formation classes every semester in, in which we, we learned different ways and different practices um, of pursuing the presence of God. And, and all of that culminated, I had the opportunity to spend a week in a monastery down in, in central Kentucky. And so I went down uh, to this monastery, and we, we, we stayed in the monastery. We slept in, in, in the rooms, that the, the same rooms that the monks slept in. And we spent a lot of time in, in silence and in solitude. And we spent a lot of time exercising these spiritual disciplines that we had been learning for the last four years. 
And a lot of it actually did revolve around silence and solitude and, and meditation, all of which were outside of, of my personal comfort zone. I don't spend a whole lot of time in silence and solitude. Um, we spend a lot of time in worship. The monks worship seven times a day, starting at like 5.30 in the morning. And there's a, a really loud bell that goes off to make sure you're awake for, uh, for that first worship service. But one of the days that we were there, um, you know, all throughout the week we were meeting as a class and we were talking and having discussions and going through exercises and different things. But one of the days that we were there was dedicated to a total 24 hours of silence and solitude. We could come to worship and we could worship with the monks in the sanctuary, which, man, you want to talk about a spirit-filled place. But for the remainder of the day, outside of that act of worship, we were to remain in silence and solitude. And so my plan for the day was to spend the morning in, in, in the worship times and in prayer in the gardens, and then I would eat lunch, and then my, the, the monastery sat on 2,500 acres of wooded property. Well, half of it was wooded, half of it was farmland, but half of it was just rolling foothills of central Kentucky. Beautiful, beautiful countryside. Um, and so my plan for the day was to spend the second half of that just out in the woods. I, I, I don't find too many more places on this planet where I connect more with God than out in his creation. And so I just wanted to spend the day hiking through the woods, um, praying and, and spending time with God. And so I set out after lunch to do that. And, and early on in my walk, I came to this really tall hill. I won't call it a mountain because it wasn't that, but it was a really tall hill. And the, and, and the trail split off, and, and one trail went around, one fork of the trail went around the hill, and the other fork went, went straight up it. And I chose to take the path straight up it because I wanted to, to, to get to the top of the hill and, and view the monastery and the gardens um, from the top of that hill. And so I set off on this hike to the top of the hill, and it was steep. Like, by the time I got to the hill, I was physically sweating. And I got to the top of the hill, and without thinking, I, I, I blurted out, man, that was a tough hike. Like out loud, and, and, and instantly I had this feeling of guilt and remorse that I had just blown my 24 hours of silence and solitude by speaking these worthless, meaningful words because I was tired by the time I got to the top of the hill. But no sooner did I speak those words and have those, that, that feeling of guilt that I had this overwhelming sense of the presence of Jesus Christ standing right there next to me on the top of the hill, and he was laughing. He was laughing, and he was saying, it doesn't, Michael, it doesn't even matter. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just having fun spending this time with you. I've missed you. I love you, brother. And he, and he gave me this hug, and I have never felt such an overwhelming sense of God's love for me. And in that moment, and I spent the rest of the day, it was like I was hiking with my best friend who I hadn't seen in years. And we just spent the rest of the day hiking through the woods together, talking to each other, laughing and carrying on. And like, I, I missed dinner. Like, I, I, I wouldn't even have realized it except I, I noticed the sun was starting to, get to, go, to go down and it was starting to get dark and I started to hear uh, the, the songs from the movie Deliverance playing in the back of my head, and I thought, I'm in central Kentucky and, and, and back in the woods, and I probably need to find my way back to the monastery before uh, I really get lost out here.
But that encounter with God's presence changed me. I had never felt a presence like that before. And it was out of that experience, out of that encounter with God, that, man, you just, you want more of that. And you want to find more of that in everything. And they won't all be, you know, hilltop, mountain experiences. But every encounter with God is a life-changing one. And the more you have, the more you want. Because the more you have, the more you're changed. And the more you desire, and the more you start looking for them and, and craving, craving them. And, and so you spend time in the morning just seeking God's will, seeking God's presence. You start spending time throughout the day in everything that you're doing and everything that you're saying and, and all that it is that you are. You start to seek God's presence in all of that. It's not that we're all called to be monks and and, 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 and stop doing um, what it is that we're, we're doing. It's that we're called to seek God's presence in all that we are and in the, all that we're doing. Seek God's presence in absolutely everything that we do and all that we are. Because God's there and he's, he's standing there waiting for us to do so. And he's waiting for us with arms wide open saying, I've missed you. Welcome back. I'm so happy to spend this time with you. It's all I want. I want you to understand who I am, and I want you to understand who you are through me, who I've created you to be, and what I've created you to do, because it's amazing, and it's fulfilling beyond measure. Church Matthew 7, 7 says, Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Church, we've got to do more seeking and knocking. We've got to seek the presence of God, and we've got to allow him to transform us through it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for being who you are, an amazing God, a grace-filled God, a merciful God. We deserve none of it, and yet you continue to pour out your love on us. Help us to learn to love you in that same way. Help us to learn to love you before everything else, above all else. Help us to see and love on those around us through your eyes, with your love. Transform us from the inside so that we may understand and discern your will. So that we may live in this world that you created the way you intended us to live the way you call us to interact with and love on each other. It's only through that that we will be the light and the salt that you call us to be. It's only through that that this world will come to know your love. It's only through that that we as Christians and that this church will be what you designed it to be, we'll call, what you called it to be. It's that that we desire with all our hearts. It's you that we desire with all our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.